everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Banking Matters. I'm your host today, Daniel Baker. Joining me today, we have Olga Gladkova, who serves as the BSA officer at Northwest Bank, which is headquartered in Idaho, but she is based out of Utah. Olga embarked on her career in Utah in 2015 after graduating from Colorado State University with dual degrees in economics and international studies. She began at Goldman Sachs & Co., where she held various roles, starting with surveilling insider threats through e-communications and later specializing in AML, KYC, customer due diligence, and enhanced due diligence. After Goldman Sachs, Olga joined Wells Fargo as part of a team assembled to address a recent AML-related consent order. At Wells Fargo, she focused on developing internal controls and conducting testing for the bank's AML program. Fluent in four languages, Russian, Ukrainian, English, and Portuguese, Olga embodies the spirit of a global citizen. Born in Odessa, Ukraine, Olga enjoyed a vibrant childhood on the shores of the beautiful Black Sea, and the recent conflict in the region has deeply affected her since she still maintains connections with extended family and friends in the area. In 2005, Olga and her family immigrated to the United States. Beyond her professional achievements, Olga's greatest inspiration comes from her family, particularly her five-year-old daughter, who fuels her drive and tenacity. As someone who enjoys breathtaking mountain views and hikes and skis during the proper seasons, we're excited to have Olga join us for today's episode. Olga, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daniel. I'm excited to be here today. So, Olga, you've got a really diverse background. I mean, fluent in four languages, backgrounds in international studies, coming from Ukraine. How did you get started in the banking industry to begin with? Yeah, thank you for the question, Daniel. I've always wanted to be in banking ever since I can remember starting college. Um, when I was a kid, I actually wanted to go to medical school. But once I got mm-hmm. into school and I realized how difficult biology was, I was like, nah, I think I would be great in banking. I love building relationships. I just love what finance is all about. And when I figured out that there is a niche called financial crimes, I was all over it. I was like, wow, this is so fascinating okay. to me. So you have, have you just spend most of your career then? I mean, we we touched on on the elements. Have you done a lot in the financial crimes then throughout your career? Yes, that's actually where I've worked in since I've started in um, my career. Only financial crimes, you know, from the e-communications compliance to now being a BSA officer, financial crimes has really been something that I've been fascinated with. And I'm so grateful that I've stuck with it because it has become my passion. So what was it that attracted you to financial crimes in the first place? I know you said that there was this, this thing, like, what, what was it about financial crimes? You're like, yeah, that's what I want to do. The fascination. And I thought that you could really make a difference, you know, with how diverse my background is with the different languages and how much I've really enjoyed my economics classes versus the science mm-hmm. classes. I figured like, hey, I could definitely bring something special to the world of financial crimes. Well, then let's let's kind of jump right in then into what we were what we had kind of planned out for today, because I think that's a great transition. You've got such a diverse background. I mean, we you, we've touched on the fact that you, you can speak multiple languages You're from Ukraine. Let's let's talk a little bit about the geopolitical environment. I'm assuming that you've been following that pretty closely with with the background that you have. Yes, absolutely. You know, it seems that every direction we turn to today, there is some sort of a major crisis that's Mm -hmm. affecting 
large portions of the world today. So for example, we have the war between Ukraine and Russia, we have Israel and Gaza, which seems to be more complicated by the attacks by the Houthis on a major shipping corridor in the region. Mm -hmm. We also have tensions between China and Taiwan, and even increasing instability in South America with Venezuela and Guyana border disputes. Mm -hmm. And each of these conflicts impacts too many individuals today. It doesn't really matter what one's political persuasion is. We can all agree that war is terrible and impacts us all. It puts nations behind educationally, politically, as well as economically, creating a weak state. And as you mentioned, Daniel, I spent my childhood in Odessa, Ukraine, the beautiful Black Sea port that has been tragically hit by bombs and bullets, and it has barely recovered since the devastations of World War II. And again, it was hit severely, which will take a really long time to rebuild and restore. And whether these geopolitical conflicts affect one on a personal level, they certainly impact us all in the professional world of banking. So then let me ask you, how how are you seeing these impact US financial institutions? I mean, being involved in, in BSA and everything, how is this impacting you in your in your professional position? Yeah, that is a really great question. So there are many variables to consider from the price of oil, supply chain disruptions to sanctions. But the way that I look at it and the way that I think that everybody should look at it is these conflicts across the world are expensive. And when things are expensive, a lot of money moves through our US financial institutions. Mm -hmm. And we need to really be realistic. There are bad actors out there that transcend borders and firewalls. Their entire job is to come up with ways to be able to do so. And they mm -hmm. get quite good at it. The money that funds acts of terror is rarely isolated to Halawas and black market peso exchanges. On the other hand, with the disruptions of the supply chain and fluctuating oil prices, our economists and strategists have to pay close attention to these areas. We see more commodities that go into making munitions as well as equipment. We see strained trade partnerships that typically work well during peace times, but we are finding out that the global economy really struggles when the globe is in chaos. If you have a customer that exports alfalfa hay across the Pacific Ocean, that's mm -hmm. a lot different today than it was just a few years ago. Currency values fluctuate all the time, and inflation has a role during war, war times as well. I guess it is hard to see how it doesn't impact U.S. financial institutions. So then as a BSA officer then, what are, what are you doing to address some of these changes? How, how are you protecting Northwest Bank? What do you do to protect Northwest Bank from, from some of these money laundering schemes and, and terrorism financing? What, what do you do? Um, in one word, customer due diligence, enhanced <laughs> customer due diligence, right? Really understanding who our customers are. And I think perhaps one of the most obvious roles in the BSA area right now is OFAC. Even though OFAC is a separate agency from FinCEN, in practice, we think of them together and they go hand in hand. And during okay. times of conflict, we like to, like we see today, it becomes commonplace to have new names added to specifically designated persons list, for example, or one of the other lists. And each of these names need to be 
be run against the bank's information. And while AI or artificial intelligence makes significant gains in this area, anytime one is comparing text in banking, database, looking for names of individuals or businesses, they're going to get a lot of false positives. Mm -hmm. So if you're a bank with a strong foreign correspondent relationship or even an international presence, you need to worry about more than just OFAC. But you always have to worry about OFAC. Every bank does. Mm -hmm. Even a small regional bank, we all have to ensure that OFAC compliance is at the forefront of our minds. So sometimes I wonder if some of the people that put in these sanctioned names in there realize just how many false positives it creates for the U.S. financial institutions. So, for example, names such as David, for example, and I say that jokingly, right? But anyone in the audience who has had a sort of through thousands of false positives and potential matches before, you know exactly how that is. And that highlights a few other things that I think we also need to be paying special attention to regardless of the bank's size. So does the bank have enough capacity to review false positive alerts? And just as importantly, reviewing false positives all day long has an extremely high burnout rate. So do you have good engaged people reviewing potential matches as well? How good is the bank's infrastructure? How good is that data that feeds in to be processed on a nightly basis? We have a lot of good technology to help us, but if it's not in the right format, it doesn't do a lot of good. Or maybe you have your OFAC screening performed by a third-party service provider. So if so, when is the last time that you really poked at the tires of how it is reviewed for potential matches? Is your service provider transparent about how it rules work? After all, OFAC responsibility isn't mitigated because you pay third party to do it on behalf of your bank. The liability still lies with the bank. And if you do business globally or in the impacted areas, are you prepared for the challenges of getting licenses, keeping track of them, and really reporting them? Now, if one is really ambitious, they should open up OFAC's website and look at the number of sanctions and advisories related to Russia and Eastern Ukraine, for example. I mean, it is outrageous. There are so many different names and entities and vessels that are constantly added, and the list is evolving. It is just mm -hmm. so complicated. But as a BSA officer and as financial institutions across the United States, we really have have to keep that at the forefront of our mind. So we are expecting more of those potential matches to be coming through OFAC um, daily. So we really need to stay on top of these things and we need to really know our customers. So CDD, EDD is super important and reportedly it makes a pretty big difference. So according to the U.S. Treasury, Russia's economy shrunk by 2.1% in 2022 as a result of the sanctions imposed by okay. all the countries around the world. There were 14% less exports and 11% decline in imports compared to 2021. So I think we're definitely making progress as we're standing together mm -hmm. and imposing those sanctions. The rubble is unstable, making it difficult for Russia to acquire materials it needs for the war and continue their aggression against Ukraine. Imposed price cap on Russian oil 
and foreign direct investments into Russia have plotted, meaning they have left significant deficits across the country. So then let me let me jump in really quick and let me let me let me pose a question about how the OFAC false positives hits affect you directly. So I know you mentioned that it creates a lot more work and everything and that it can create a lot more issues with with specific banks. So with your bank, how do you handle false positives? Do you review all the OFAC hits, hits yourself? Do you do you contract out to third party? What what do you do? We have a designated team member that assists with the OFAC reviews. He is very diligent in his reviews, but we also don't have as many false positives that some of the larger banks may get, right? right? So for right now, for us, it is definitely a lot more manageable, but if it is a larger bank, right, and they have a lot of global presence, I mean, sorting through their false positives, I mean, that could be mm-hmm. um, a whole team's worth of work. Yeah, no, it absolutely can be. I mean, it, it going from a large bank to smaller bank, you can definitely see the the widespread of different AML compliance and BSA considerations that you have to worry about. Absolutely. So then, besides just OFAC, you mentioned acronyms like CDD and EDD and, and customer due diligence and enhanced due diligence. Um, do you have any supervisory capacity or do those touch upon your, uh, are you over those in any way in your, your current role at the, the bank? Yes, yes, I am. So I'm over those. I mean, I have to really understand, right, who our customers are, ensure that we have the correct risk assessments for our customers. And the CDD, which is customer due diligence, definitely impacts me in our daily life, right? When we are considering, Perfect, yeah. do we yeah. want to onboard a specific customer? Do we understand what the customer's accounts are going to be at the bank? Because yeah. I think it is not only important to understand the nature and purpose of those accounts, but also to understand, okay, specific customer has indicated that they'll be doing this and this at the bank. And then let's see six months from now, has that been the trend? Has that been the case? Because it is really important to not only understand our customers are onboarding, but also to ensure that what we were expected actually aligns with the trends that we are seeing within the bank. So then how do you how do you get that information? Like, how do you acquire that information? Is it literally just a, a banker asks the, the, the person like, hey, what are you going to what are you gonna use this account for? Like, what what are you doing to acquire that customer information? Yes. Yeah, so to acquire the customer information, of course, you know, it is collected at onboarding. We also ensure that um, we ask our customers, OK, what is the specific mm-hmm. activity that you would like to have at the bank? And then the account monitoring another really important part of BSA, right? Like you have to ensure that you also compare what the customers mention, what the expectation on the account is with what you are seeing occurring on the account. If the ongoing monitoring, you know, alerts us to the specific activity, can we explain it? Is it explainable? Have there been any OFAC hits? Does this customer require enhanced due diligence? Of course, depending on the industry and depending on the type of the account activity that we are seeing. So to answer your question, Daniel, the way that we acquire this information is, of course, from the customer at onboarding, and then, of course, through enhanced due diligence or EDD, if needed, based on the industry, and then ongoing account monitoring, any sort of additional OFAC hits that we may see. Um, I mean, of course, we definitely hope there is no true OFAC hits, right? right? But that is a part of the ongoing monitoring. Perfect. So then, obviously, this is all involved in, like, 
money laundering and whatnot. It touches on the, the issue of money laundering. I always like to ask my, my BSA experts, do you have any good money laundering stories that, or one you'd be willing to share with us? Yes, I definitely do. I have seen some really great money laundering stories in my career. Um, but great. of course, yeah, I mean, by, by, by perspective, right? <laughs> <laughs> definitely. But of course, you know, in order to keep the information protected, um, mm -hmm. let's talk about one that has recently came out of the Department of Justice. So as you may have heard, the Department of Justice has charged a Russian, a Russian citizen, Konstantin Malofeyev of Russia with mm -hmm. conspiracy to violate U.S. sanctions and violations of U.S. sanctions in connection with hiring of an American citizen, Jack Hanek, to work for him in operating television networks in Russia and Greece mm. and attempting to acquire a television network in Bulgaria. So Malofeyev also conspired with Hanek and others to illegally transfer over 10 million investment dollars that Malofeyev made in the U.S. bank to a business associate in Greece in violation of sanctions blocking Malofeyev's assets from being transferred. Along with indictment, the United States issued a seizure warrant for Malofeyev's U.S. investment. So mm -hmm. Konstantin Malofeyev is closely tied to Russian aggression in Ukraine, having mm -hmm. been determined by OFAC to have been one of the main sources of financing for the promotion of Russia-allied separatist groups operating in the sovereign nation of Ukraine in eastern Ukraine. Well, then that, that actually leads really well into the, to the next question. Um, when we were talking about things to, to maybe touch base on, one of the things was a PEP or politically exposed persons um, or Russian oligarch proxies. Uh, what are these and, and, and why are they important? Yes, absolutely. That's also super relevant nowadays, right? Especially yeah. when dealing with such a huge conflict of our lifetime. So politically exposed persons or what we typically know as PEPs um, are individuals that by virtue of their public position or relationships may present a higher risk than other customers by having mm -hmm. access to funds that may be the proceeds of corruption or other illicit activity. Now, on the other hand, Russian oligarchs are wealthy individuals in Russia who amassed significant wealth and power, particularly during the privatization of state assets in the 1990s following the collapse of Soviet Union. These individuals often acquired state-owned enterprises and resources at a fraction of the market value through a combination of insider deals, political connections, and sometimes even controversial business practices. Mm -hmm. As a result, they gained immense wealth and influence. Oligarchs are typically close associates of Vladimir Putin and run in his circle. Oligarchs are predominantly involved in energy, metals and mining, as well as real estate industries. Oligarchs and PEPs typically go hand in hand. 
Mm -hmm. Russian oligarch proxies, although, refer to individuals or entities that are closely associated with Russian oligarchs and often can act on their behalf or in their interests. So these proxies may include family members, business associates, right. attorneys, or other intermediaries who really facilitate financial transactions and mm -hmm. manage assets for oligarchs, right? Mm -hmm. So the importance of Russian oligarch proxies in the context of AML-BSA regulations lies in the need for financial institu institutions across the United States to identify and assess the potential risks associated with these individuals or entities in terms of money laundering, terrorist financing, and sanction violations. Identifying and assessing these risks is really crucial for U.S. financial institutions mm -hmm. to remain compliant with U.S. regulatory requirements and protect themselves from reputational and legal issues. As you recall, I just shared a recent example of you know, a Russian citizen that has been sanctioned mm -hmm. in the United States. The Department of Justice has um, charged with evading um, their sanctions, right? So that is just one of the many examples um, of what we can see a potential Russian oligarch doing within the United States or attempting to do. The use of proxies, I think, has become a lot more frequent now as we see the conflict and a lot more Russian oligarchs that are being sanctioned individually to prevent that wealth from growing. So really, really what I'm hearing is regardless of a political stance or, or, or stance in the, the conflicts, uh, be it anywhere dealing with any of the any of the major turmoils that are, are going on the importance for banks is to have a robust bsa aml customer due diligence enhanced due diligence program to really be on top of the the ofac sanctions and, and requirements that way they they are protecting not only the financial institution but also extending like being part of the, the the system of protection towards towards u.s citizens and, and u.s interests would you say that that's a fair assessment yes absolutely and for those banks that are using third parties to you know assist them with mm -hmm. due diligence or assist them with the ofac screening to ensure their due diligence is completed because the liability still lies with the banks right right because of the strict liability element of ofac perfect well, I do want to give you one last chance, Olga, that if you could give one piece of information or one piece of advice to banks today, it doesn't necessarily have to be about BSA or anything like that. It can deal with anything with your, your experience getting to where you are today. What piece of advice would you extend? Yes, thank you, Daniel. That is also a great question. I would say that today, given the current political environment and given how closely geopolitics can affect BSA and mm -hmm. the U.S. economics, I would say for the banks to definitely continue to implement um, strict monitoring within um, the banks to continue to conduct enhanced due diligence where necessary, to continue mm -hmm. to vet certain customers. I know that um, you know the business is at the forefront of our minds as well, and we can still do that while remaining compliant and while following the U.S. regulatory requirements. I would say just continue to um, work really hard to understand who the customers are and continue to keep the banks safe. I appreciate that. I really do. Well, Olga, thank you very much for joining us for today's episode. Thank you. 
I appreciate you having me. For the rest of our listeners, that's Banking Matters.